Hello, and welcome to The Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're joined by guest April Dunford, the author of Obviously Awesome. April, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. I'm so glad to be here. This is great. Well, we are super excited to have you. The topic for today is going to be positioning. And April's book, for people who might not know, is about just that, a step-by-step process for positioning your product or service. I almost don't know where to start. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, so maybe maybe folks could tell, maybe April, you could tell folks a little bit uh, about your background and your context, just to uh, give them something to start with. My background is I spent 25 years as kind of a repeat vice president of marketing at a series of successful tech startups. So I would generally come in when there's a little bit of revenue happening and my job would be to be the first like senior marketing hire, build the team, step on the gas in terms of growing uh, lead generation and revenue. And then in my case, you know, once you got that going, the company gets acquired, you would get stuck at a big company for a couple of years. Then I would pop out and I'd go join another startup. And I did that, um, sort of rinse and repeat seven times. Wow. Um, yeah, six acquisitions, mm-hmm. um, which landed me at five different big tech companies. I was at IBM twice. Um, <laughs> and I, I across that, I launched 16 different products into market. And so um, my specialty became positioning because at every single one of those 16 products, I had to reposition it at some point. And so that's how I got my chops in positioning. Cool. So now here's the thing about the book, and I know this is sort of a softball for you, but there's a there's a book, and I maybe you could tell me when it was published. When was uh, the recent Trout book? I think it's 1982. Okay, so so it's kind of the watershed <laughs> moment. It was I, I, basically they defined the term, if I remember correctly, of that's positioning. Right. But and that book is great, and people should read it. But it doesn't give you any information about how to do it. Yeah, almost, so frustrating. Yes, like, very it, frustrating. So, you know, I I came from a background in engineering. I didn't actually study marketing in school. And so, but I got a job in marketing just, well, actually, I got a job at a startup and how I got the job was my friend worked there. She put in the word for me and I got this job and it happened to be in the marketing department. And so I thought, ooh, I don't know anything about marketing. I should learn some stuff. So I read a bunch of books and took a bunch of courses. And this positioning book is the standard. So if you go to marketing school and you want to learn positioning, they'll say, read this book by these guys, Reason Trout. And it's literally 1982, like before the internet. (laughs) That's how old this book is. And they do this really masterful job of describing what positioning is and how your product needs to occupy a category in a prospect's mind and how powerful that is. But they don't give you any clues at all about how to actually get that done. Like, you know, when people talk to me about content marketing and they say that's a new thing, I'm like, no, I know these guys recent (laughs) trout. They did it in 1982. Like the whole point was you get to the end and you're like, I get it. I this is super important. How do I do it? And it's kind of like the last page is like, call us. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So I found that super frustrating. And and particularly because I was working at startups at the time and I couldn't afford to call them. They were too expensive. They were working with like Pepsi and stuff. And so 
so I spent a lot of time asking other people, like, you know, we're doing positioning, whether we like it or not. So even if we don't have a process to do it, like, how's everybody else doing it? So I'm talking to the, all these other smart vice president of marketing. I'm like, hey, how do you do positioning? And the shocking thing was everybody seemed to be kind of making it up as they went along. Like there were some commonalities across what people were doing, but there wasn't a standard methodology, which I thought, wow, like this is a really fundamental concept. In fact, you need to get positioning right before you can do pretty much anything in marketing and sales. And yet we don't have a methodology for doing it. That's just crazy. And so then I, you know, set about spending the next six or seven years kind of gradually working on my own that I used for my own use. And then eventually when I switched to doing um, consulting rather than in-house stuff, that was my, it was my decision to focus on that because I had a bit of intellectual property there that nobody else seemed to have. Mm -hmm. Yes, agreed. Could you just sort of concisely describe why it's important? Because I think it's it's 100% obvious to the three of us, but I wonder maybe if people are listening, yeah. like positioning, I'm, it sounds like a markety thing. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. Well, that's the biggest problem is people don't really understand what it is. That's problem one. So even if you got a group of really senior marketing people together in a room and you said, hey, let's define positioning, you'd get a lot of different definitions. And in fact, when I talk about positioning, I usually have to start by talking about what positioning is not. So, you know, it's not a tagline. It's not the same thing as messaging. It's not... Um, people talk a lot about brand positioning and that kind of bugs me because I feel like there's branding and there's positioning and those two things are totally separate. And in fact, you need to have your positioning sorted out first before you can decide what your branding should be. So in my definition, positioning describes how your product or service is uniquely qualified to be a leader at something that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. And that's complicated. So that, that's basically saying positioning is going to define how you are different and better than alternative ways of getting the same thing done, than how you're different and better and who you're different and better for. So it defines why you're better, who your target market is, it also defines like exactly what market is it that you intend to win. So when I started talking to people about positioning, folks were so confused about it. And in particular, I work a lot with tech startups. And so I'm dealing with founders that don't have a marketing background at all. And so I'd lay into them with all of that. And they're like, we don't even know what a market is, April. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And so, so I had all these different, like, you know, analogies to try to get people's head around it. But maybe the best one I've come up with is positioning is a little bit like context setting for a product or a service. So you can have a product or a service that is very, very, very good, but out of context, people may not understand it or recognize why it's really, really good. And so I used to use an example of there's a really famous context experiment done by the Washington Post. uh, And it was they took this 
guy who's really famous violin player and he's you know he's regularly selling out concert halls for 300 bucks a ticket and they took him and they put him in a ugly sweatshirt and they had him play out in front of the uh, Washington subway system like at rush hour and what they were going to measure is one would anybody notice that the street musician was better today than they normally were and two would he make any more money than your average street performer and so he goes out there and he and he's you know got his ten thousand dollar violin and he plays his guts out for three hours and he makes thirty four dollars and seventy three cents and so and then Now, when I read that, the first thing I thought was, well, maybe people didn't have change in their pocket. Maybe they didn't have time. They're late for work. Like, just because they didn't make any money doesn't necessarily mean that people didn't realize that the music was better. But the Washington Post, what they did was they went around and they interviewed everybody in the square. And they said, hey, like, you know, you you notice the guy playing. What'd you think? And it turned out there was a lottery kiosk across from where he was playing. And there was a bunch of people literally standing in line to buy lottery tickets. And not a single one of them no, recognized that the music was any different than it normally was. And there was a gal beside him that ran a shoeshine stand. And they said, hey, did you notice anything different about the music this morning? And she said, yes, I did. She said it was so loud. I was going to call the cops. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Now, if I, now, if I, now here, we, so I got a world-class product, right? World-class product. But I pick it up and I put it in a lousy context, right? I give him a baseball cap. I put him beside the garbage bin. Nobody can recognize how amazing that product is. If I gave the shoeshine gal a ticket to one of his performances and said, hey, check this out down the street at the concert hall, she'd walk in and she'd see the guy up on stage with the fancy wood all around and cameras on him and people going nuts. And even if she wasn't into classical music, I think she'd come in there and say, you know what, that guy, he's a genius. She wouldn't be calling the cops on him then. So your product is the same thing. If you tell me, I got this thing and it's really neat and it's email, you're going to go, it's email. I don't need email. I got Gmail. Like, why? So how are you better than Gmail? And they're like, well, it's not really like Gmail. It's more kind of like blah, 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 blah. And then I'm like, well, wait, what you just described was chat. So what is it? Is it email or is it chat? Because great email is very different than great chat. But the reality is those products actually have giant overlapping feature sets. So if I position it as email versus chat, your expectations of what it does, who my competitors are, Um, you know, what I pay for it, everything changes. So that context matters a lot. Right. And there's a story in the book that I I would love it if you could kind of continue this thread. Uh, I think it's the one about email for lawyers. Email for lawyers. Right. And so, yeah, the the point, the idea of having this context uh, to just for the listener to kind of like key into this, the point of having this context is that it'll trigger a a boatload of really important assumptions in the buyer's mind or the potential buyer's mind. And if you trigger the wrong assumptions, you just end up spending all of your marketing uh, resources fighting the assumptions because you set the wrong context. Exactly. Exactly. So what's, yeah. Could you quickly tell the, the email for lawyer story? Sure. So, so exactly like you said, like, it, like when you say my product is a blank or my service is a blank, 
there's all these assumptions around that. I assume who your competitors are, what your pricing is, what your features are. And if those are those assumptions are correct about my product or service, then great. I save myself a whole bunch of work. I don't have to tell you exactly who my competitor is because it's assumed. I don't have to list every feature. Half of that stuff is table stakes. But if I put it in the wrong context and the assumptions it triggers are incorrect, marketing and sales is going to have to overcome that. So the example I use about this is I had some, I got introduced to this company out in the valley by their investor. And the investor said, you know what? These folks are great. They've got this great product. Customers that use their stuff love it. But their problem is in the first meeting with a prospect, nobody can get what the heck they do. And so it takes them forever to close a deal. So I get them on the phone and I'm like, hey, so, you know, what's your deal? What do you do? And they said, well, what we, we're like ex-lawyers and we got this idea for this thing. And what it is is very specialized email for lawyers. And my first thought was, whoa, who knew the lawyers needed their own weird email? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so then they jump into a demo and they're showing me this demo and it looks like email. They got a thing that kind of looks like an inbox and there's some conversations going on. and conversation continues on. And finally, I said, hey, so how does the calendar work on this thing? And the guy says to me, he goes, oh, calendar. No, we don't have a calendar. And I'm like, wait a minute. How do you replace Gmail if you don't have a calendar? And the guy says, no, no, we don't replace Gmail. We don't. In fact, we can't. We don't have a calendar. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, do you know what you call email with no calendar? This crap email that nobody buys. Like, <laughs> like that's what it is. And so, and so I'm like, but, but wait, okay, so back up. Like, so everybody loves your thing. I know they do because your investor told me so. Like, what do they love so much about you? And they said, oh, we have this feature. We actually have a patent on it. It's really neat tech. And what it does is, is it looks at um, the history of communication and the, and, the, and the documents that the lawyers are sharing with their clients and it looks at that and applies some AI to it, and it figures out who should have access to those documents, and it puts them in this very secure place, and it only gives access to people that should have access to those documents. So, it, you know, they had like a, and so they called it like super secure, context aware file sharing. And I'm like, whoa, that's actually super, super cool. But it's also not email. If I wanted to solve that problem, would I say, hey, I'll go do that with my email system? I don't think you would. So what they actually had was a really neat, really innovative product masquerading as crappy email. Now, I could take the exact same product and pick it up and put it in a whole other context, and you would think differently about it. So let's say I called it team collaboration for lawyers. Well, all of a sudden, everything's changed. Well, now who's my competition? Well, it's not Gmail anymore. It's Slack-ish. So they don't do anything particular for lawyers, but it's, it's Slack-ish. And I would expect that you would have a special feature around collaboration between lawyers and their clients. And well, lo and behold, that's exactly what they got. <laughs> that is their key differentiator. And then everything else changed too. Like we had a great conversation about pricing, right? Where um, one of the big problems with being in the email space is everybody expects email to be free. Team collaboration space is better because people expect to pay money for team collaboration. So we had this great conversation where I'm like, uh, 
you know what you should do? Like you could actually make a case that you could charge more than Slack or generic team collaboration because you're specialized team collaboration just for lawyers and you have all this, you know, extra security and blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what you should do when you get, when you talk about pricing, get the lawyers on the phone. And then when they ask you how much it costs, you just say, look, this is very specialized for lawyers. We have very specialized pricing for lawyers and we're just going to charge you guys by the minute. (laughs) <laughs> and then just let it dangle that's hilarious <laughs> and then, and then and just wait and yeah and just wait until the lawyers go but that's not fair and then you just say i know <laughs> anyways they didn't do that yeah. but they did put the price way up and 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 it made sense because right. you know the pricing expectation in that market category is very different from the totally different yeah. Okay. That's, that gives me a really good segue point into a, a, a question that probably on the minds of a lot of people listening, I do pricing. Funny you should just mention that. And one of the things I need to do in order for people to increase their margins and be able to charge higher prices is to go through a positioning exercise for the exact reason that you just described. Uh, but I'm not an expert at positioning, but I have to do it with people. So that one of the reasons I love the book is it gives a, a process to go through to do positioning. So that said, I have lots of, over the years, I've gotten lots of pushback about doing this exercise. I wonder if you've had the same thing with your clients and what you do if and when you get that sort of pushback. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Most folks come to me and they don't know they have a positioning problem, but they know they got a business problem. And then, and then, you know, what I try to do as the consultant is figure out is the root cause of that actually positioning. And if it is, I can fix it. If it isn't, then you're on your own. But, um, but a lot of times folks will come to me and say, you know what, people just don't get what we do. That, that is a very common symptom of weak positioning. They'll say people don't get what we do. New prospects don't get what we do. But once we do business with them, then they love us and they keep coming back to us and they love what they do. It's just the beginning. They don't get it. And what that is, is, you know, there's something in your positioning that isn't resonating for those folks and they can't put you in a category because they don't get it. But then once they've used you, then they can. And for sure, those customers, your existing customers that are happy and love you, they're positioning you somehow. But there's a gap between how your happy existing customers think about you and how you actually talk about yourself out there. So that's the most common thing. But you also get this issue of sometimes people will come to me and say, well, you know, the problem really is just, you know, we're in this super competitive market and everybody kind of does what we do and we think we're super special, but nobody gets that specialness. And again, just like having the violin player standing outside the subway station, sometimes it's just a context setting thing. They're not seeing that your stuff is special because they can't get over the fact that you're standing beside the garbage bin, right? Or in the case of email for lawyers, they're like, I can't get over the fact that you don't have a calendar. <laughs> like you just, you're never going to be anything but crappy email if that's what you're trying to do. So a lot of times folks come to me and they don't necessarily know they have a positioning problem. Like for me personally in my business, um, folks almost have to get to that realization before they call me or before they talk to me. So 
for my business as a consultant, I, you know, the, the book does that job in a lot of ways where, you know, the founder will read the book and go, oh, I actually have this problem. And I spend a lot of time in the book sort of describing this is what the symptoms are and this is how you know you got it. Um, a lot of times I do a lot of speaking at conferences and there is this moment in my talk about 15 minutes in where you look out in the audience and there'll be three or four faces looking at you like, oh, shit, <laughs> <laughs> we have that. <laughs> and then those are the people that come and talk to me afterwards. And then sometimes you'll get this thing where, you know, again, the companies have been convinced that it's a sales problem or it's a marketing problem. And then they'll bump into one of my clients or they'll bump into somebody that's read my book or see me do a talk or something and say, you know what, this gal April, she talks about this thing. You should call her. Maybe that's what you got. And so, so I don't know, by the time folks get to me, um, you know, they've, they've come around on the idea that maybe positioning is what they've got. And that's what we have a conversation with, you know, before we do any business, like, is that actually your problem and how do you do it? So I don't have as much pushback as, you know, it was, it was harder at the beginning of my career as a consultant to build a pipeline when I didn't have any good content and I wasn't speaking at conferences yet. And I didn't have a book and, you know, I'm in talking to, I'm doing more outbound selling and I'm sitting across from a founder going, let me tell you a story about, you know, the guy, the violin. <laughs> sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't. But, uh, but now I think I have more of a, you know, I think there's more of an awareness around positioning and then, you know, I'm doing a better job marketing myself, I guess, but most of my business comes inbound and I don't have to sell too hard on the concept of positioning. I just have to filter to make sure they actually have a problem I can solve. So I want to kind of jump in here with, with a lot of our audience or people who are consulting in some fashion and they're building an mm -hmm. authority business. So most of them are solos. How would you tell them to look for positioning problems? Like how do you know as a solo consultant if you have a problem? Well, a positioning so, problem. Yeah. So, you know, I consulting businesses, I think, like particularly a solo consultant, I think solo consultants have an opportunity to, you know, go really deep in a specific area and then position themselves around that and have that be the basis of, you know, how they get their rates up, how they get, how they build a better pipeline. Like if I think back to when I first started consulting as a marketing consultant, I think I started like most people do that, that transition from in-house to outside. You know, I've, I've been a vice president of marketing for 25 years. I decide I'm not going to be in-house anymore. I'm going to be a consultant. And so what's my offering? Well, I'll just do vice president of marketing stuff, mm -hmm. <laughs> which, is a, yeah. which is a terrible offering. Nobody wants that. <laughs> and so, so my first, you know, sign that that's lousy positioning is one, I couldn't sell it. It was hard to sell. And two, it was hard to, it was hard to get good money for that. So by positioning myself as kind of, and you see this a lot in marketing consultants, like a fractional CMO or a part-time, whatever, that's terrible positioning because what I'm doing is I'm comparing myself to a full-time employee. There is a direct comparison. 
So I'm basically positioning myself as I'm an alternative to hiring a vice president. And what, you know, and what's so great about me? I'm cheaper. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. Because if you actually look at the hourly wage I made as a vice president of marketing, it wasn't that much if you took out my bonus and my stock options and everything else. So what people want is what I was basically positioning myself as, I'm going to give you full-time results for part-time money. Like that's terrible positioning. <laughs> so, so it didn't take me long to realize that was bad. Um, and because I was positioning against a full-time person, like literally I, in terms of what I could charge was sort of capped by this. Well, what's a, you know, what's a per hour rate for a VP marketing. And that's, you know, this, this is a terrible comparison. And so I knew I had to do something better than that. It's also not a very good consulting engagement. There's no start. There's no end. There's, oh, yeah, no, there's no project. There's no project. Right. So, so I thought, okay, I need something that's a project. I need something that is hard for the in-house people to do. And it makes sense to have an outside person do it. It needs to have a start and an end. It needs to be differentiated. And I kept coming around to this idea of, um, positioning being a, a project I could do for a company because one, it was the hardest thing for me to do. And two, I always wished I could bring in some outside perspective when I was doing that positioning work, because often there was a lot of internal politics associated with, you know, working inside a startup and sales wants it to be one thing and the founder wants it to be someone else, something else. And I'm the vice president of marketing, which is basically like saying you're the expendable crew member, man. Like if anything's going bad in the business, <laughs> first person to get fired, <laughs> VP marketing, totally easy to fire them. So I always wished I could bring someone else in and then they wouldn't be firing me. They could just fire the consultant. And I thought that that's what I should do. So when I started out, I was positioning myself as a positioning expert and a lot of consultants, they shy away from getting too narrow on something like that because, because it feels, it feels scary, right? It feels scary because it feels like, and at the beginning it does feel kind of scary because I shifted the positioning and said, no, I only do positioning work and here's what it looks like. And, you know, I do a workshop and it looks like this and it costs this much. And then someone would call and say, yeah, but we don't really want that. Uh, we, we want you to come in and do that fractional CMO thing. And, and you have to say no. <laughs> and you got to say, no, I'm not doing that business anymore. And, and you know, when you're broke, <laughs> it's hard to say no to that and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this other thing. And so, and then you also have to feel some confidence that the thing is going to work. So at the beginning, I was doing a little bit of half and half until I felt good that I had the right offering and it was working. And then I just had to completely turn my back on the other stuff and work on building a position in the market for myself with the content I was creating and the talks I was doing. And then eventually I wrote the book and I put the book out. And that has literally been night and day difference in my business in that I went from just kind of, you know, this sort of generic consulting business and I wasn't making very good money. I was making okay, but it was kind of like the same money I was making you know, before I became a consultant, except I was working way harder and way longer hours. And, 
and you know, and my clients were kind of, eh, you know, some of them were happy and some of them were just so, so, whereas now, um, you know, I'm booked up three, four months in advance. I, you know, my rates are way higher. I work way less and my clients are way happier because I only promise to do this one very narrow thing, but it's a super valuable thing. And if you got this problem, who else are you going to call? I got to have to, I have to interrupt it. I have to call out something that you said just now that's super important. You work way less and your customers are way happier. That is yeah. key. That is super key. So you should see how picky I am about taking on a client. It's crazy. Like I used to, you know, again, when I was just doing the generic thing, then all clients look like good clients, right? But now I do this really specialized thing and I only take you on if you fit my target perfectly. So my intro call with a with a prospect is you got to run the gauntlet. <laughs> and so it's like, I don't do B2C. I only do B2B. I only do B2B if you have salespeople. And then I got to get a good feeling that you are amenable to changing your positioning. Otherwise, I'm going to come in, I'm going to work with you. And you're, you're not going to like my new positioning because you didn't want to change it in the first place. And so I have all these things that if you don't meet these criteria, I don't work with you because you're not going to be happy at the end. And if you're not going to be happy at the end, you're not going to tell your friends about me and say that I'm doing good work and that's no good for my business. So I'm ruthless about, I only work with people where I am like absolutely sure we're going to do amazing stuff together. You're going to be super happy. I'm going to be super happy. And yeah, you're going to have to pay for that. It's going to be kind of expensive, but I can tell you it's going to be great. Like if I say yes, and we're going to do it, it's going to be great. And then everyone's happy. No one minds paying money if it's if what you get is great. I love I love how that that fits into your process. It's like you're modeling the process that you're teaching your clients. I, I know it would be pretty sad if the positioning consultant had lousy positioning themselves. <laughs> right. So let me let me drill into a distinction between you mentioned you have a workshop, but it also sounds like you do custom projects, custom engagements. What is the difference or is there a difference as a soloist in positioning yourself or the business itself versus individual offerings? Yeah. So I do have a handful of different offerings, but I, I really have one that I lead with and the other ones are kind of, okay, if there's for some reason you can't do this one or we've already done the one that I lead with, then there's some other things you can do with me later. And that just keeps it clean and easy to describe what I do because there's, you know, it's so hard to understand positioning. It would be even worse if I was then trying to explain this menu of different ways we could work together. Like in essence, I've got one main offering, which is a positioning workshop. It's very tailored towards folks that I typically work with, which is B2B startups between late seed series B um, that, that have a sales force. And then I've decided they have a positioning problem. It's a two day workshop. Um, it's super clean. We're in, we're out. We get a lot of stuff done in a very short amount of time. Everybody's happy. Occasionally I will get companies that come that are a little bit outside of that, but I decide I want to work with them anyway, and we'll do something that's a little bit custom. So 
it could be you're a much bigger company. Like I have one that I'm working with now. They're a much bigger company. They're more like 50, 60 million revenue. They, uh, they are well beyond startup phase and they had very, very good positioning, but there's been a massive shift in their market and they are now making a move to a new market. And so because there's all of that complexity and a lot of existing revenue stream that you don't want to muck with, we had to tack on an extra day to do a little bit of extra stuff to deal with this special case. And so, you know, if you pass all my gates and I determine you look like a good fit to work with me and you don't quite fit in the my perfect little, you know, set offering that I've got, I will do some custom stuff. But I tell you, it's, it's fairly rare in my business. You know, and part of that's just because I'm so low, like on purpose. I don't want to have a business right now. Like I, I just want to be me and I want to just, you know, be me and do my own thing. I have way more business than I can handle right now. So I can afford to be quite picky and just, you know, work with the ones that fit into my offering like perfectly. But like I say, occasionally I get, I get some ones that fall a little bit outside of that, but they seem like awesome companies to work with. And then I do those and they tend to be these sort of bigger ones that have a weird positioning challenge, which is, you know, sometimes I've got ones that are like, they're doing an acquisition or they're smashing two companies together. And so it's a little bit more complicated than my regular startup folks, but I do a handful of those, but the majority of my revenue as a consultant is with folks doing my normal offering. So let's talk about target markets for a second, because you just listed an incredibly precise target market it's for yourself. so precise. <laughs> so it makes things, it's been my experience that, that makes things way easier for a business that has limited resources for marketing, time, money, headcount, whatever. It makes yeah. it, it makes everything so much easier if you just get really specific about who you're trying to reach. Totally. But I get a massive amount of pushback from people who are like, well, yeah, but I, but I can do software development. I can do Python for anybody. It doesn't have to for just anybody. be point of sale. So why not yeah. cast a wide net and catch more fish? Right. So yeah. What, but then I mean, it's like, but the problem is, is then you're competing with the world. Right. And, th and that's why specialization is so magic. Right. So yes, it's true. You know, I could have finished, being a VP marketing, and I could have come out and said, you know what, big, small, any kind of marketing thing, I can do it. I've done it. I'm a VP marketing. I can do any marketing thing you want. But now I'm competing with every other person that does that. And, and there's lots of good people <laughs> like that, you know, out there somewhere is the VP marketing for Twitter and the ex-VP marketing for Amazon and the ex-VP, you know, and why would you hire me over them? I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. Just some gal up in Canada. Like you can go broader, but then you start looking at the competitive comparables and say, well, why would I win that? Because now, now you're so broad, like you're competing with everybody. Whereas you get specialized, the more specialized you get, the more, you know, the company comes to you and you say, look, I just do this thing. And if you have this problem, go ahead, look, look for someone else. Who are you going to call? Like if you're, again, if you're B2B tech company and you think you got a marketing, you think you got a positioning problem and, you know, you're between late, late seed and <laughs> B and blah, blah, blah. Like, 
I mean, you're going to get to me and no one can touch me, right? Like now, are there other people that do positioning? Of course there are, right? But some of them will say, oh, we do B to B, B to C, we We do do this, we do that, right? And the CEOs are like, well, I don't want that. I want the lady that does late C to series B, you know, whatever, whatever. And I can give you 15, I can give you examples of 15 clients that look just like you. So, you know, your confidence level goes way up that I can do the thing I say I'm going to do. And you know what? I do the thing I say I do better because I only do it for these people. Right. It makes you better at it because I'm better at it. I'm way better at it. I get, I get how their sales team works. I get how their marketing team works. I can give them 19 examples. We're in the workshop and I got an example for everything of a client that I've already worked with or a company that I've worked with personally that I'm like, Oh yeah, we did that back when I did whatever, whatever. And that's why people hire me because I get their business. The reason I get their business is because all the businesses I work with kind of look the same. Yeah. So that makes you obviously awesome. That's it. And every new deal that I do builds on that, builds on that, builds on that. If I started doing, taking a consumer product thing, like I'd be an idiot over in consumer and that deal I did in consumer wouldn't help me get my next B2B. So, you know, you just, the whole thing's a flywheel and it feeds on it on itself. Like the more I do, the smarter I get and the smarter I get, the more I do. And the more people call me and the more the word goes around, like, Hey, if you're B2B and you're in this niche little thing, who are you going to call? You're going to call April. Like some of them come to me and they'll be like, Oh, gee, you're too expensive. But they call me first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what we want. They call me first, right? And we get a crack at it. (laughs) Did you find that publishing the book had a huge impact on your inbound leads? Or was it just, um, was was it more of a linear, you know, increase over time? Yeah, you know, it did, it did have a big impact on my inbound leads. And, you know, I'm way more than I expected. So what I expected with the book is better public speaking opportunities, because speaking has always been a good one for me, just because if I get in front of a room full of CEOs of tech companies, I can take them on a journey <laughs> through the course of my talk where they have this aha moment and think, oh, I got this problem. Maybe I should talk to this gal about fixing it. So public speaking's always been a really good one for me. And I thought if I had a book, it would be easier for conferences to feel like, oh, she knows her stuff. She's got a book on it. <laughs> And so I thought, and that would get me more on more stages. And then that would get me more business. And it's gone well beyond that. Um, So first of all, the book sold way better than I thought. I, I wasn't really thinking about book sales when I wrote the book like that. Like one, you don't make any money off book sales. And, and two, business books, like the numbers on them are not actually that high. Like, you know, a lot of the business books you've heard of have sold like, you know, 20,000 copies, 30,000 copies, which isn't a lot of copies of a book. And so you're not going to make money off that. But I did think that it would get me on stage, but it, it sold more than I thought for a weird niche little topic. And then the book has got me a lot of really well qualified business from outside of my network, which is interesting. So 
before the book, the vast majority of my business came from people seeing me at a talk or referrals from other other CEOs that I've worked with. The book just brought in this whole new stream of inbound that were like complete strangers that heard about the book wherever they heard about it. Then they read the book, then they watched videos of me online, or they heard me on a podcast, or they did whatever, and then they call me. And so that's been interesting. And I did not anticipate as much of that as I've actually gotten. There's something you did, April, that I thought was really savvy. At the end of the book, instead of writing a lot of, you know, kind of fluffy stuff that sometimes authors do, you were very specific about here's what I do, here's the service, click here for more. Yeah. And you did it on the speaking, you did it on your workshop. And I, I, yeah. I thought, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear you say that it was successful because it just felt to me as, as a first-time reader of your stuff, I felt like it told a story. I mean, the book is, oh, I love the book, by the way, listeners. The process of positioning is laid out clearly, succinctly, but with great stories. And then, so I kind of felt like I heard your voice through the book. And then at the end, it's, here's how you can use this. Right, right. Well, like, so the idea, like, I think people lose sight of this stuff sometimes. And again, having a marketing background, this just feels natural to me. It's like, if I'm writing the book, and the point of the book is not to sell books, then it must be to sell other stuff. So (laughs) where's my call to action for that? And so I spent a lot of time thinking about what is the right call to action? Like, do I? um, So, so I settled on two things in the book. One was, there's a bunch of templates and things. And if you want the templates, you can send me an email and I'll send you the templates. Well, now I got your email. (laughs) So I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Like at some point, maybe I'm going to market the next book to that big email list. But I thought, well, at least I have that. At least I get a chance to interact with some people that have read the book because otherwise I don't even know that you've read the book. Yeah, that's the worst. That's happened to me. So I've used that to, you know, ask people to review it on Amazon or things like that. Um, And then at the end, I put this last page and I'll tell you, I worried a little bit that people were going to complain that that was, quote unquote, too salesy. And I had a friend of mine do, uh, do a thing like that. He wrote a book and he had a page right in the middle of his book that was kind of like, Hey, you made it halfway. And by the way, this is what we do. And he had a salesy page and he got a lot of blowback from that. And, but he also got a lot of business. (laughs) So I said, well, well, you know, I got to figure out how to do this. So, so I opted for a page at the end that was kind of like, look, you made it all the way through this. You must be interested in this stuff. Then if you're curious, how do you how do you work with me? Here's here's how I work with people and you can find out more on my website and go to it. And then same thing with the public speaking. Like in general, I don't get paid to speak at conferences because I'm speaking at marketing conferences or startup conferences where you know hardly anybody's getting paid to speak or they pay me a little bitty thing, but it's you know again, it's not my main business. My main business is consulting. So if I'm up on stage, I got on a plane, I went all the way to this conference, I'm up on stage, I'm not there to sell you something, but it would be crazy if I left the stage and you had no idea what I did. <laughs> so, you know, at some point in the, you know, in the, in the talk, 
I have to at least let it slide like, hey, you know, this is a client of mine and here's what we did. Or, hey, you know, if you want to go deeper on this, you can read the book. And then when you get the book, you're going to know what I do. So, you know, I think people do have to lay it out. Like if you're going to make that investment in doing marketing, there should be a call to action in there. Well, the book is a business. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a revenue stream, whether it's from book sales or from the things that arise from people yeah. reading the book. So, yeah, I, I think sometimes we all think that writing a book is a purely a creative act. And absolutely, we have to tap into our creativity to do it. But it's part of the business. No, oh, man, there's way more, you know, fun and interesting creative acts you could do. Writing a book was a giant pain in the neck, man. Like, so, like, it was actually super hard, way harder than I thought it was going to be. So I went into it with like, you know, this thing better drive some business. Otherwise, why am I doing this? Wow, this has been great. I see we're coming up to time. I could talk about this all day, literally, uh, but I think... Me too, and I do. (laughs) And you do, right? (laughs) So if you'd like to hire April to speak at your conference or to... (laughs) Right. AprilDunford.com. Let's jump to that. So where can people go to find the book, to find out more? If they're they're finding that they they need 45 minutes to explain to someone what they do, perhaps they have a positioning problem and should read Obviously Awesome. So where can they go to find that? Yeah, so the, the the book is available online, wherever you buy books, Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere else you buy books, you can find it online. And there's a paper version and an ebook, and the audiobook is coming in a few weeks. I just finished recording, so that should be out by early February if everything goes according to plan. Maybe by the time this podcast hits the air. Um and then, uh, and then there's my website, which is aprildunfer.com. And there's a little bit there about what I do as a consultant or yeah, if you want me to speak at your conference, <laughs> I'll <come laughs> speak at your conference. Except your fees are way higher now. So belly yeah, up to the bar, getting, people. Yeah, things are getting, <laughs> things are getting spendy over here. And then, you know, online, I don't, I don't do a lot of social media, but I, I do mess around on Twitter a little bit. So I'm at April Dunford on Twitter. That's probably the only social media that I pay attention to and mainly I'm just tweeting about cat jokes and stuff but occasionally I'll tweet some stuff about positioning yeah that's where we connected as a matter of fact yeah that's right we met on Twitter mm-hmm. fabulous See, all right well, this, is, this has been great folks so take this to heart buy the book I guarantee you need it uh, it's read the, the book guaranteed <laughs> buy guaranteed. the book read the book yeah step-by-step process yes. and it's i i agree with literally everything in it i was like wow this is the book i wish i had had like 10 years ago yeah it's it's really good <laughs> yeah that's awesome so april thanks so much for coming on the show uh, thank that's you it. yes yeah well thanks so much for having me this has been super fun cool all right folks well that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and i'm rochelle moulton And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.